0: Hello, I'm Mary Nightingale. Welcome to the Piper podcast How I Grew My Brand. After more than 30 years funding and helping founders and entrepreneurs grow successful consumer brands, Piper have identified three critical stages of growth in a business, which they call 71770. They're key points in a brand's growth cycle where there's a real need for change. 71770. Turnover, number of sites, or indeed in the number of people employed. In these podcasts, I'm talking to some of the UK's most dynamic founders and entrepreneurs about the secrets of their success and how to avoid the pitfalls along that 71770 journey. Today, I'm with Charlie Bigham, founder of the Charlie Bigham's Ready Meals brand. And Charlie, I can see you wince at the mention of that term, Ready Meals. Why?
1: Well, who wants to buy Ready Meal? You know, really. The thing is, the word Ready Meal is just linked to compromise. And it's like, okay, well, I'm going to buy something that's quick and easy and doesn't taste very nice. Whereas everything we're about, we don't make Ready Meals. We just make really nice food there's no need to compromise you can have something that's quick and easy to prepare but still be absolutely delicious
0: and that has proved to be the case has it people really do buy into that
1: well yeah no it's it's interesting when we talk to our you know we we do that bit and go and talk to our consumers and we kind of say well what how would you describe this and actually i was delighted when we did this about four or five years ago as i was a bit of a lone voice in the business and people were saying to me charlie just just you got to accept it you make ready meals but when we actually asked consumers said what would you call these they said well we don't really know, but please never call them ready mills because they're not that.
0: Okay. We're talking about this seven, seventeen, seventy you yeah. know, pattern. You are kind of on your way to the 70 million mark, correct?
1: Yeah. No, we should, uh, uh, you know, fingers crossed, we should get there this year, actually.
0: Okay. So talk to me a little bit about the journey. How long have you been going? How did it start and so on?
1: I started the business in 1996. So this is our 20, 23rd year, I think. And I started you know, I started in, in, in the old fashioned traditional way, which is on my kitchen table at home, not with not having raised lots of money, but just with a with some savings of my own. And got going and yeah, didn't really know what I was doing. Don't really know what I'm doing now, I guess, but yeah. I certainly didn't know then. And just thought I wanted I, I kind of in me there was a bit I kind of just thought I'm not very good at working for other people. I didn't I don't like didn't like being told what to do um very much. So I thought I do something on my own, and food seemed like a good idea because I love cooking, and I love food, and I love eating. And 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 then when I I was a management consultant in the past, I kind of with that hat on, I kind of looked at it and said, yeah, well, this is a big market. You can grow a business. You can kind of come in under the radar and grow a you know grow from small to to a sort of reasonable size. That seems like a a, a, a realistic ambition to have. Uh, so I thought it'd be fun. I thought it would be fun and um it has been.
0: Mm. Are you uh, traditionally an entrepreneur would you say you come from an entrepreneurial family?
1: My dad had a, an art gallery so he kind of worked for himself uh wait well, but had a couple of partners. Um but actually I kind of, I guess if you look back it's always easy with benefit of hindsight mm. you know you look back and you kind of and I was I was the you know the sort of annoying child at school sort of selling stuff to friends and you know when I was at university organizing I don't know, you know, hiring nightclubs and organising parties and, you know, that's, that sounds very glamorous. I wasn't very good at the glamorous bit, but I kind of, I just, I, I enjoy, I think I've always enjoyed it. I've always enjoyed doing stuff and, and making stuff happen and not very good at following the rules, arbi- seemingly arbitrarily set by someone else who I was meant to you know, do the right thing for.
0: But you were a management consultant, weren't you? Were, Briefly. were, you, were you a miserable <laughs> management
1: consultant? No, not at all. My first job out of university was working for a very good company um, who are called Accenture now. They were Anderson Consulting when I joined them. And it's a big global consultancy business. And they were an they were extremely well-run business. And actually, lots of things I learned there, I, I think, still have relevance today. And I, The advice I give to, to people when they're starting off is actually, Gina, it doesn't really matter what you do, but it's a really good idea to just go and work somewhere that's brilliant. Whatever, that, whatever se- sector it is you're in, just try and find some excellence early on in your career, even if it's in a, comp- in a field that you end up leaving and doing something completely different. Actually kind of being able to refer back to just seeing how someone does something really well is, is quite handy.
0: Um, you were talking about having decided to move away from management consultancy because you'd always loved food. This was the yeah. idea that and, – and I've you know, been reading up about you and so on. Your wife said that you were the only student at university who always had a table that could seat 10 and cooked. So th- you had this love of food from very, very early on.
1: Well, I can't – you know, I think everybody loves food. That's my view. Everybody I'm loves sure food.
0: i agree with you. But, uh, every, well... Some people think of food as just necessary. <laughs> But you got. Yeah, you have this but
1: love. you know, we all sit down and eat at least three times a day. Quite a lot of us more, and yeah. it's a time of sort of great joy. You know, you can sit down. All the best things in, you know, I think in life are marked by food. You know, when kids are born and when you get when people get married and even when people die. You know, there's there's food is part of that occasion, and so it's sort of there to mark mark the important occasions in life. Food. Um, but also, you know, we have this opportunity to sit down two or three times a day and kind of either treat food as a sort of purely functional thing and obviously, there are people in this country and and in in the wider world who food is a very functional thing, but I think lots of us are lucky enough that food can be something more than function mm-hmm. and it can be something yeah you know, to it to just savor and enjoy and I kind of think all the best conversations happen over food, and maybe a glass or two of something
0: <laughs> you decided to move away from you know the nine-to-five job and and you had a sort of a ha moment didn't you when you went to India tell me about that
1: uh so I sort of left that business and went off traveling with my then girlfriend Claire and now wife and uh and sort of part of the mission was when we we both said you know we've having a great time in London we've got interesting jobs but there's more to life than this so we just need to and you were how old uh 20 uh, 27 28 something okay. like that so we need to kind of take a break go make some big decisions you know very very good decision we made along the way was to get married um but you know also make decisions about what we're going to do with our lives and and you know and so we went off on a bit of a mission to say well let's let's try and come back with some ideas of what what next
0: in a camper van
1: and we went off in a camper van because that was fun so we you know bought an old camper van for a you know, vw for a couple of thousand quid and drove out to india and back so that took us about 10 months and along the way you know I was like all right oh, I got going to have to think what I'm going to do when I come back and you know doing that sort of journey slowly kind of through europe and through the middle east and you know you just you saw you know everybody eating food in a in a sort of quick way but in a different way to quick food in the uk you know so quick food in the uk at the time and was all about microwaves and and you know, the awful ready meal and mm. sort of preservatives and nasty stuff. Stuff that I had no interest in at all. And I kind of saw people eating food on the side of the road, which was just a bunch of fresh ingredients tossed in a hot pan. And thought, well, maybe, you know, look, people are eating quickly prepared food, fast food, convenience food, all over the world. But just in a different way to, where, to the way we do it, we, we do at home. So perhaps there's something here. Perhaps we can I can do something which is about... Fresh, you know, pre-prepared ingredients, which you can just quickly cook, and and off you go, and then have something far better than the, the than the horrible compromise of plastic mm. things you pierce the film on and wait for a ding from the microwave. So, kind of that that the kernel of the idea was born. Kind of actually, as I was unable to go to sleep one hot, sweaty night um crossing the border from Iran into Pakistan. But anyway, I, I, and I came up with this the kernel of idea, and then came back and worked it up and. And the business has developed, you know, quite a bit since then. But the kernel of the idea is still the same: delicious, tasty food, quickly prepared, nice, fresh ingredients.
0: How did you begin? Because you've always talked about the fact that you didn't really borrow a great deal of money yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. So, how did it actually get started?
1: Well, the first thing I did, I went and I went and got a job in a delicatessen. So I thought, "Gosh, I know nothing about food. I better go and work somewhere." Lovely delicatessen um, just off the Portobello Road called Mr. Christians, I went and worked there for a few months, and that was that was good experience and then just got going you know made some stuff on my kitchen table and you know went knocking on doors around London of shops and saying, Here's an idea what do you what do you think and luckily uh, you know a couple of small shops took me on and then and then I sort of just carried on with that, and then you know knocked on doors of the likes of Harvey Nichols and Harrod's and Selfridges and you know those places and and they were uh They were then, and I actually I suspect still are great places for new businesses to go because they are you know they're they're all brilliant shops in their different ways, but one of the things that's fantastic about them is they're always searching for new things, so they're open to new ideas, and they're you know well, certainly my experience was they were you know the people who were making the decisions it was a very sort of flat management structure because they're quite you know not big shops. And so you could have good conversations with decision makers and, you know, someone would say, that's interesting, let's try it next week. And you're off and away. If you've got a half good idea and you get stocked in those shops, it's a brilliant shop window Um, because actually, you know, all of the buyers from bigger shops, whether it's UK supermarkets or, in fact, all over the world, come and look in those shops because they know that's where... Kind of quite a lot of the innovation of the future is is going to land.
0: Was that a lucky choice that you made, or was that actually quite premeditated? I mean, did you realise how clever that was at the time?
1: I don't think I don't think it was very clever. It's just kind of I was living in London and and that's for, that's that's what it that's what it was. It's
0: quite ballsy thing to do though, isn't it, to march into Harvey Nichols with with your you know, I don't know a couple of tubs of whatever. Yeah. I mean it's quite gutsy isn't it aiming high
1: well i didn't i didn't think so actually i mean it just seemed you know if you're going to make something you've got to sell it and i'm not a salesperson but you have to believe in what you're doing i believed in what i was doing i believed i was you know onto something i was going to give it my best shot
0: so how did you actually start what was your first dish can you even remember uh i can
1: i can remember um we had three dishes to start with we had a we had a, a, a zesty caribbean lamb we had a we had a salmon dish and we had a sicilian chicken dish mm-hmm. and, and and actually where we started was you know interesting we kind of started as a, as a meal kit so it was kind of a complete complete supper in a bag you know bunch of bunch of ingredients which you then took us uh, some quite complicated instructions and it took you about 20 minutes to cook and, and it, it's interesting to me now i mean that was you know 20 plus years ago and it's interesting kind of that idea that we start that I started with 20 years ago is actually now it's here again, you know, mm. and, and, the, and the likes of Hello Fresh and Gusto, and not just in the UK, but actually a lot in the States and, and, and in, in Europe. You yeah, know, the idea of the meal kit, you yeah, know, now delivered to your door rather than picked up in a shop, people are having another go at it. Mm.
0: But back then, you moved on from that fairly swiftly, did you? We,
1: we moved on from it because we found out a few things. I found out a few things. One of the things I did when, when I went and you know, started selling in these shops around London. Is it wasn't just a passive sell, just sort of put it on the shelf and you know see what happens. I'd, I'd uh, make the food in the day and then in the evening, you know, jump in a little van with my lovely chef who 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 came and joined me earlier on, a guy called Mark, otherwise known as Spike, and him and I would would take you know get out our cooker and our pans and set up our stall in whichever shop it was in London and cook our food and talk to people. That's a kind of really really valuable thing to do is actually talk to who you're selling to. I mean, not the shops, but the the end consumer. And the feedback we got was incredibly useful because people said, you know, this is great. The food's fantastic. It's delicious. But, do you know, it's a real nuisance that you've, you've got this lovely salmon dish. And I really love the salmon, what you've done with the salmon. I really love the sauce that's come with it. But, do you know, I don't want you to provide me with the rice or the broccoli or, you know, actually, I don't really like broccoli. I'd like to have this with green beans. And I've got those at home in my fridge. So we sort of... Just from talking to people, we worked out pretty early on that, that you know, we, we had to focus, uh, I guess, in the in the sort of business parlance on the added value bit. The bit mm-hmm. that people really wanted, which was kind of what we were doing, sort of marinating, preparing the meat or fish and making the sauce. Because those are the sort of two complicated, more complicated bits to and do. And time
0: consuming. Like and, first,
1: time, yeah. and so so we sort of distilled it down and, and, and simplified the product. Um,
0: Over what sort of period of time? How, how long did it take you to kind of reach that... Uh... Uh, deal. oh was it that quickly wasn't <laughs> that's okay. the
1: nice thing you know if you're out there talking to people yeah. you know if you're talking to people um in in you know making food in the day talking to people in the evening you don't have to do that for many days in a row no. uh, before you, you Guess what? You get the same consistent message, and you think, "Well, we got to change."
0: Just, just for clarity, but you're saying to begin with, you provided the ingredients for people to make it themselves, no? Or... Uh,
1: well, it was so. To begin with, it was a meal kit. Yeah. So you might have had a bag or a box with you know 15 different things in which you had to yeah. you know lots of assemble, pans and assemble, and, yeah. Um, but there was there were they were recipes, and then we moved on to a place we stayed for the next few years which was preparing fresh raw ingredients but in two parts so sort of marinated meat and fish plus a sauce then we said you sort out your own rice or potatoes or and your vegetable to go with it so that's what we did and we we kind of carried on with that that idea of sort of freshly prepared food but not pre-cooked at all for a good few years and then it was only about 10 years ago that we started actually cooking food ourselves for people to Take back and put in their oven, not their microwave, so sort of there was a there was a big change in the business about ten years ago as we broadened into cooked food as well as raw prepared food.
0: okay, and how, how quickly did the business take off? How quickly did you realize this was a success rather than just a yeah you know, great idea that you were enjoying?
1: We've grown every year bar one in the last twenty two years, and so there were signs that it might work from early on. Those signs were probably louder to me than to most other people. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know, I, I was confident that if we kept going we 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 could grow the business and make something of it.
0: Did you how did you envisage success? Did you, well,
1: did, I, you did you think about that? I think success it, yeah. success is a funny word. I mean I don't I don't what does success mean? But I guess I had an ambition for the business from the start. I remember you know, right early on, I kind of, you know, did the normal thing and it's a really absolutely crucial thing to do is you know you if you come up with a product or a service you test it with family and friends and and I and I remember one friend saying to me so Charlie, what's the plan here what what, what are you trying to do you know what's what's this business going to be about how big do you want it to be and I said well I kind of I don't I don't want it to be a small business so I, I said I think you know the kind of first job is to try and get to about 20 million of sales because then it will be a proper business pretty much from the outset that's what I had in mind was to try and have not a huge business, but a you know a reasonable size business which had you know had had a momentum of its own. And
0: your name was always attached to it.
1: That was kind of an accident. We had to have a name for the business, so I went to some a friend of a friend who had a very successful design business in London and said, "Can you do me a favour for a few hundred quid and come up for a name and come up for a design for our business?" And they went off and did their designery stuff for a few weeks and and then came back and said well we should just call it your name <laughs> which was you know um I didn't pay them very much so <laughs> but I've got over the the oddness of it if you want because it is What's a bit strange oddness? it is a bit strange is it? it is a bit strange it seems rather egotistical but I think it's quite good because if if we if we come to a sort of tricky point of well shall we do this or shall we do that I kind of I can say to the team well look you know it's got my name on it so i've got to I've got to really believe in this and i I don't think that's quite right so let's do this mm. and that's you know it's quite a good it's quite it, it, i think it keeps it keeps me sort of on the straight and narrow
0: how quickly did the business take off and i i'm I'm thinking about the first sort of you know if we're looking at the seven seventeen seventy uh pattern you know zero
1: to seven so I kind of think this this idea of businesses having mom, you know inflection points or whatever is absolutely right so to get to the 7 million point that was that took us about um 7 years what were, what were the characteristics of those first 7 years working really hard it was definitely not 9 to 5 and it, it wasn't 5 days a week it was sort of 6 or 7 days a week and my day quite often started at 6 and and, and then I'd you know take a break to nip home to, for supper at some point and then quite often finished late at night because I was doing every, you know, I was doing everything, sort of, you know, doing the accounts in the evening and stuff. So the first seven years was really hard work, but in a good way. You know, that was no, that was that was fine. It was exciting. It was fun. And the other thing about the first seven years is money. You know, it was really tough on the money side. There was like every penny mattered, and that was partly because you know I I'd, I'd chosen to go down a route of not having any external investment. So we were sort of living hand to mouth.
0: And that was very conscious, was it? It wasn't that you'd been to banks and were turned down or...
1: No, it was very conscious. You know, there's a route. And one of the early decisions you need to make is are you going to go and raise some money right from the off? And if you are, then you are going to cede some control. Um, or are you going to, you know, do it the, you yeah. know, the long, hard way? You know, it's the sort of tortoise in the hair, if you like. Maybe it was me. I just decided that it would be I quite like to keep control but the you know the flip side of doing that is it's quite tough with no money.
0: So 0 to 7 was hard work. What about yeah. 7 to 17? I understand that you found it was quite tricky from going from 15 to 20 London shops to to national prominence in what 70 stores or whatever.
1: Yeah well actually that all happened in year 1 because when I originally set up the business I thought I was going to I was going to be the saviour of independent food shops and delicatessens and and I could come up with this concept and supermarkets were terrible places and, and I would come up with this product that would be not sold in supermarkets. And someone early on said, well, look, Charlie, that's, that's kind of a noble idea, but actually delicatessens and stuff, people, you know, they're lovely, but people don't really shop in them very often. They're more food gift shops and fantastic and specialist, but they're quite niche. And you ought to go and talk to the nice people at Waitrose so I followed that advice and picked up the phone and rang the switchboard to Waitrose and persuaded them that they should see me because I had this great product that they'd be mad not to stock. And um,
0: and you say you're not a salesman? My goodness. Well, no, I'm not. And
1: uh, and Waitrose were fantastic at supporting me and supported me and 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 the business the whole way along and are still, you know, our, our number one customer. So before we'd even made any food. I knew that we were going to be selling in Waitrose. My management consultancy experience, I guess, was quite useful there because what I had been doing before was writing business plans and forecasts and all of that for other people. Mm. And now I had to do it for myself. And that, that, if you know you're going to grow quite a lot, you know, there's lots of moving parts you have to get right at that moment when you suddenly go from two people to, I think we went from two people to 20 people overnight. And you, know, you need to have that well planned.
0: What were the biggest challenges during that growth period? And um, what mistakes did you
1: make? Oh, too many to even remember. I mean, it was just constant, constant errors. And I kind of <laughs> <laughs> I think mistakes are a great thing. Um, but I kind of think what you should do from when you make mistakes, and still making them today, obviously, is you should sort of learn from the mistake and move on.
0: Okay, give me an example of a mistake.
1: I'm hugely, you know, lucky in that I've got a brilliant team and I've had, you know, lots of people who've been in the team who've now moved on to greater things and, and, and that's, that's fantastic. But of course, along the way, I've made some ridiculous mistakes. I put a small ad in the back of, I think I put it in the back of The Spectator because I thought I might attract some sort of quirky, unusual people to work for us.
0: Doing uh, what?
1: Uh, I think it was. No, I think I was looking for someone to come and work as sort of commercial director. Oh, right. (laughs) In the small (laughs) ads, right? In the small ads. I thought, well, why not? not? Just do it a different way. Save the fee. Save the fee. (laughs) Anyway, we got um, masses of responses. And I found myself early one morning interviewing this guy who had the most extraordinary CV. He'd studied Oriental languages at Oxford and, uh, and stuff. Anyway, he was a bit cagey on the phone. And when I met him, it turned out he'd just flown in. I think it was just, it was during one of the Iraq wars. And he was out in in a sort of black ops operation in Iraq. And he flew in from Iraq to see me. Um, and I just, and I, and I was just, and as I sat there, I thought, no, this is not a good idea. But this is the right route to recruit a commercial director. Um, you know, this person is not the right person to go and talk to the lovely people at Waitrose. Yeah.
0: What about in terms of turnover, the journey between 7 million and 17 million?
1: Well, then I, I kind of had a look at our numbers uh, this morning, actually. No, you were going to ask me about this. And hmm. and, and that was a sort of another seven-ish years. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think along the way, the inflection points to me are around, uh, actually around people. Our business is, is in some ways, I kind of resist it. But in some ways it's split into two groups of people there's the group of people who we call the support team who kind of support what happens in the kitchen and and then there's the people in the kitchen who actually you know do all the hard work making the food up to twenty you can kind of put your arms around everyone you can be completely flat as a management structure you don't have to have levels and you know all of that nonsense that comes later and then you have about fifty people then this kind of this sort of scary thing of middle management comes in, which is just there's an inevitability, and then and then perhaps you go to hundred and hundred plus people, and it it gets more complicated again, uh, and and we're we're now in that we're sort of in that third stage, but that second stage that is a complete change, when suddenly you have to embrace having layers of management and people doing doing things, and it's kind of it's really it's a really hard transition. I systems. Think. So really, and you have to put in systems, and you have to have, you know, you have to think about having proper, being sort of at least semi-professional about, you know, HR and and, and you know things like that. <laughs> you say you say
0: the word HR like you say the words ready meals. It's you know it's it's, don't, it's an don't, alien. We, thing, I don't like clearly. HR.
1: I don't like HR as a concept. We have, you know, Laurie is our head of people. We have a people department. HR is just all sort of admin, and I don't really like that. But I, I think kind of looking after people and giving people kind of career paths and opportunities and keeping their careers developing within your business is really important. If you want to have the best people, that's something you've got to deliver, and that really comes to the fore once you get into that second stage. And then you have to, and you have to start planning on a longer term horizon. You have to say, well, actually, we need a, you know a three or a four or a five year plan. So that, that's, I kind of think, what happens. That's the transition. The stage two bit is, is, is getting all that to work. And it takes a while, and you make a whole lot of new mistakes.
0: You're listening to the Piper podcast, How I Grew My Brand, and I'm talking to the food entrepreneur, Charlie Bigham. Uh, at what point did you think, OK, I need a CEO here?
1: Well, our business is, our business is quite a relentless business in that we operate... You know, seven days a week. And, you know, we start at, you know, five, six in the morning and we don't finish till 10 or 11 at night. So the good thing is that means it's quite hard for one person to do. So early on, you have to embrace the idea that you must delegate and empower other people.
0: Are you a natural delegator?
1: I think I'm I think I'm think a natural delegator. Are you? It's key to delegate. I've am i got my third CEO at the moment, Patrick, who started about 18 months ago. And so first was about, hmm, ten, twelve years ago. Okay. So, you know, reasonably re I mean, some might say reasonably early on.
0: And quite difficult though, isn't it, to find the right CEO. How difficult is that?
1: Of course it's hard. And actually uh, I mean I think, you know, you've got to you've got to recognise it's hard on from both sides. Yeah. You know, it's it, it, it might be hard for me saying, Oh well, you come in and I'm going to sort of give you my baby to kind of look after and but it's also quite hard for them because I'm saying come in but I'm not I'm around by the way <laughs> the hovering daddy the anxious parents. <laughs> I'm, I'm around um and and so that there's there's that tension there of of kind of how you split things up and how you work together uh but that's also fun when it's right when it goes right when it's right when, yeah. it's right when it's right and I've had much more right than than not right uh when it's right it, it, it really goes well and you you know it's um, it's fantastic if you can both bring different things to the party.
0: You said that you've had growth every year, but one. But one, yeah. And I think we're talking about 2007.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: When uh, a lot of things happened and your sales dropped by 40% pretty yeah, no, much it was, overnight. It was
1: very annoying, actually. The world decided to implode. And we were, we were a business growing very fast. You know, we've, we've grown on average about 20% a year. So you're always making plans for not where you are today, but where you're mm-hmm. going to be six months down the line or whatever in terms of recruitment and yes. spending money, which means if things turn around, you're, you're kind of caught in a bad place yeah. because you've committed to all this. But I kind of I did have a plan already. I mean, it was much worse than I thought it was going to be. But when, when the financial crisis hit unhelpfully what happened is there was lots of stuff in the media about how oh gosh the you know the end of the world is nigh and what everyone's got to do now is change their behavior you know you've got to stop buying you know stuff like this which is a bit more expensive and you've got to you know if you shop at waitrose you should stop shopping at waitrose and go and you know shop in asda or whatever it might be and kind of everybody reacted to it mm-hmm. and changed their behavior actually it turned out in a very on a very temporary basis our stuff was kind of just taken off the shelves you know because everybody sort of panicked a bit and so that's why we declined by 40% it wasn't because the demand fell by 40% it was actually sort of what what was available for people to buy and then quite quickly it became apparent to everyone that actually you know, people hadn't really fundamentally changed and you know what we do is is not we're not a sort of you know luxury we're a tiny bit more expensive but we're really good value for money and actually, within within six months, we were back in growth. So we just had a we had a painful correction, which meant we had to restructure the business very quickly. I mean,
0: what does that actually mean? Getting rid of people?
1: Yeah, a third of the people left the business. Wow. And we did that in a week. So it was really difficult. However, it was very painful, but it was a good time for us to sort of refocus and say what are we really good at and focus on our real strengths and stop doing a whole load of stuff that which we weren't doing very well and which was all kind of what sort of stuff you know if someone came to us and said could you make this food um we'd 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 sort of say okay that'd be fun let's do it we had to have a thing. we had peaked at making about 450 different things every day um and with hindsight none of them terribly well and so then we went through a transition um when we kind of reduced that from four hundred and fifty to about seventy
0: in the midst of this downturn in two thousand seven I mean as it turned out, as you say, it wasn't a permanent thing yeah. did you panic did you did you have fear or did you have this crazy entrepreneurial optimism, which I observe quite a lot in these chats that, um, that nothing <laughs> nothing really perturbs. Too much. Uh,
1: there were there was you know there were worrying a worrying few weeks. Everybody had businesses at that time. I mean, quite even quite a big businesses, but especially in our sort of still quite fragile small business state, it was a big moment for everyone because it, things did change and and yeah, literally overnight. And actually, usefully, I, I had someone who was who was sort of my mentor at the time, and he walked up the stairs and he and he said, "God, you don't look in a good state." Oh, yeah sat down and said, well, look, this is what's happened. It was quite tough. He said, well, do you know, Charlie, that doesn't really matter. What matters is if you look worried, uh, everyone's going to be worried. So you've got to start looking worried, which I thought was good
0: advice. Talk to me about the journey between 17 million to 70, that sort of period of development.
1: So at about that point, we were 17 million turnover. That's when my second CEO... Tom joined me and his remit was to come in and shake up up the business and change it and make us grow up. And, you know, lots of things happened in that For example? Well, I think we got much more professional in the way we managed our team. We focused our range. So that was when we went from 450 down to 70. You know, we really, really focused on the product, on the quality of the food we were making. We widened out our customer base because, you know, we'd grown up with Waitrose, but it was it was time to broaden our horizons and go out to other supermarkets as well so we did that we looked at fundamentally changing the way we made our food to make it fresher and quicker and you know all of that so there's there's a load of stuff that happens it's been a busy a busy few years and it and it continues and i kind of think now you know we're now into the next phase so patrick my current CEO joined me 18 months ago and, and yeah, he's going to very much take us on the next stage.
0: What stage is your business at now?
1: Well, being in the business of making things, our inflection points, to to an extent, are linked to how we make stuff and actually where we make it. So, the big moment for us, you know, the next big moment was a year ago. We opened a new, a big new kitchen down in Somerset. We bought a piece of land um, and, and built from scratch. An amazing building, which we're very proud. We think we're the only, probably only business in the UK making food to do that in an architectural award-winning building. Um, it's in a quarry, isn't It's it? in an, an old quarry. quarry. It's an extraordinary site. And we've designed the building around how we make our food. So we kind of designed it from the inside out. There's a characteristic, you, when, you, when you move into a new premises, you kind of, that sets the tone of how the business is going to be for the next 10 or more years. And in fact, we've bought enough land there, we can get, carry on growing at 20% a year for the next 20 years and we've got enough room now. Wow! So that's a nice thought and and, it's, and it belongs to us so and, we don't uh, have to deal with pesky landlords and all of that.
0: And you call it a food production campus, is that right?
1: Well, at the moment it's a building, it's, okay. a, it's one kitchen but we have a master plan which is that we'll build several kitchens there and and sort of ancillary buildings and you know all sorts of grandiose plans which I'm looking forward to coming to fruition over the next 20 years. You know we've gone kind of from zero to 250 people and we produce 60% of all the food we produce is now produced there. It's really exciting seeing seeing what we've achieved in a year. There are some bits we know are not right yet but that kind of is all opportunity and you know, if we've got 250 people working there today, our hope is that one day we might have a thousand people working there. And that's kind. That's quite exciting. And then that sort of, that community, how that works.
0: And uh, it's this word community, which I want to talk to you about, because yeah. you, I know you talk about preparing food in the right way or yeah. running a business in yeah. the right way. And mm. And this sounds like legacy stuff to me. This is broader, isn't it, than just making great food. This is... Making jobs, supporting people, supporting a community.
1: Well, I have a few hobby horses, and one of my hobby horses is that we do things wrong in the UK. We're short-term thinkers. in In business terms, we think in shorter-term horizons than anyone else. Most businesses take a hundred years to become a great business. I know there are examples today of the you know the Googles and the Facebooks that have done it in you know no time at all, but actually. They're the exceptions. It's the sort of Marses of this world and the Unilevers of this world. And, the, you know, they take 100 years. I want us, you know, I think that at the moment we're a good business. I'm really proud of where we are. But I want us to become a great business. And a great business has to, has to be long term. And people want to work long term in a business. Fundamentally, they want to work long term. and If you're going to really look after people, you have to have a long term, long term view. And that sounds a bit paternalistic and old fashioned, but I don't think it is. And, and we've lost this link between businesses being linked to their communities and people being valued for being people and all those things so I kind of think well okay everyone else can go and do their thing but we'll do it our way.
0: Mm. Is the business still 100% yours?
1: Uh, yes yeah. there was a bit of the business which is owned by the employees and I think that's that's exciting as well so yeah. you know that's One of our long term objectives is for fifty percent of people who work in the business to have a stake in the business of some sort tied to its future success. And we will we will get we're about twenty percent of people at the moment, we'll get up to fifty. That's great. We'll probably go hopefully we'll go beyond fifty. Our role is to create better jobs. Now, I I would love it if I could say that we um, and by the way, we're doing that fantastically well today. Of course we're not. We've we've had to go from zero to over two hundred people in quite a short period of time. And we've got loads more to do. You know, we have absolutely very, very strong and clear aspirations of the sort of employer we want to be. We want to be the employer of choice in the local area. Are we there yet? No, we're not. That's Mm. part of the challenge over these next 12 months and actually kind of the challenge forever.
0: The food business has changed, hasn't it, so much over the last 20 years. We're more health conscious. We're more engaged. Yeah with what we're eating, the sourcing of it, whether it's ethically sound and, and, and mm. so on. How have you worked with that? Is, has that worked in your favour, do you think? Or is it, is it an extra challenge?
1: Well, I think whatever anyone tells you, most people will acknowledge this. If you set up a business, what you need more than anything else is a bit of luck. And you know a big bit of luck that I had is I completely coincidentally... Decided to start a food business at just the right moment. You know, it was the time when all the weekend newspapers suddenly added a food section. Mm. There were suddenly programmes on television about food, and so there was this sort of just mushrooming of interest in in food. And we were just there. I'm sure you remember the kind of horsegate scandal mm, a few years ago. Anyone who was doing any sort of prepared food just had a It was like, oh, you know, the sky's going to fall on our head again. And, Mm. you know, everyone's going to stop buying it. And there was a short term, you know, we saw some, the sales were impacted by a week or two. But I said at the time, I said, for us, this is a brilliant thing because people are going to ask themselves the question, you know, what price cheap food? There were lasagnas that people were buying for 99p. I mean, you know, we make a lot of lasagnas. I wouldn't know how to make a lasagna for 99p. I just don't understand. And so it was kind of, in a way, it was no surprise that to get there, people were cutting every sort of corner, even to the point of doing things that were completely illegal and reprehensible. So, I, you know, for us, that was actually a good moment. And I'm really encouraged by the fact that people are interested in where it comes from. We know our suppliers well. We work with them. We're obsessed about the quality of the ingredients. We can't make a good recipe if we haven't got good ingredients so it's just in our dna that we do it right mm.
0: what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given
1: so i think a really interesting bit of advice i had and it kind of has a it has a truth to it which is the secret is if you start your own business you must never give up but at the same at the same time you must know when the right moment is to give up i think if you start your own business you have to be relentless you know every time a door gets slammed in your face you just have to pick yourself up and 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 keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going but then at the same time you have to sort of just just keep this tiny bit of your brain saying do you know actually this isn't working you took it so far but it's never going to take off I mean you know I was just lucky that that hasn't happened to us um the piece of advice I give to people people do now ring me up and I'm really delighted to chat to people who are kind of thinking about starting food businesses and there's a moment if you're starting thinking about it you prevaricate and I and so the so the piece of advice I give to people is you know the right time is now just do it if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out but actually yeah if you really want it, if you're really going to do it it will work out
0: personally what's the plan because I, I I see you building this legacy. You're talking about having a long-standing business. Yeah. You want to, you know, outlast you. We're talking hundred years, aren't we?
1: Well, luckily, I, I reckon I, I've got a good, you know, I've got a reckon? good, i got a good twenty years. You think twenty? Still do it? You still, I, to, you've oh, still got yeah. the hunger Absolutely. for twenty years? Absolutely. The exciting thing is having having built this new kitchen down in Somerset. It kind of feels. It almost feels like it's a new business. I'm really excited about the next 20 years. There's so much we can do. We know that our food has extraordinary broad appeal and yet actually our food is still eaten by a relatively small number of people in the UK. So what I, I definitely want is therefore to be a long-term plan for the business and for the business's values to remain around where they are today which is yes making great food and making it really well you know efficiently and so it's super fresh but actually also having a business which puts the people first and a lot sort of long-term you know having that long-term view
0: Charlie Bigham thank you pleasure you've been listening to the Piper podcast how I grew my brand join me again next time